Amy Ingerbretson here, professional skier, dog mom, cat lover, podcaster, and your host for Warren Miller Entertainment's Long Underwear. In this podcast, we are sitting down with world-class athletes and industry legends. Nothing is off limits except for one rule. After introductions, there are no more mentions of skiing or snowboarding allowed. We are stripping off the layers and getting to know the skiers and riders underneath the gear. Welcome to Long Underwear. Winter vacation is calling. The Icon Pass unlocks powder playdates, breathtaking views, and unique mountain adventures across the world. It's not too late to have the ultimate winter vacation. Drop in now. Last chance to buy is December 12th. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Long Underwear. My name is Amy Ingerbretson, and uh, today on the podcast, I have Ted Lady. Ted, hey. welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. To introduce you as a skier is kind of hard because you're so wildly accomplished. You're a four-time Olympian, two-time gold medalist, youngest male to ever win a gold medal in alpine skiing. I think I was the fourth, but I'm not entirely sure. Something. Yeah, something I was wildly. young. I was <laughs> and 21 course, years old, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then tons of World Cup yeah. podiums and World Champ titles and all that. Yeah. So in a podcast where we're not supposed to talk about skiing, we're okay. going to talk about it for a sec. And I guess like to kind of hone in on just a part of your ski career is just maybe because it's the flashy, sexy part. Like what's your, what are some highlights or favorite moments from your time as an Olympian, like specifically in the Olympics? Uh I mean, of course, like winning the Olympic gold medals is like, of course, the highlight. (laughs) I would say what's like funny about the two of them is like when I won when I was 21 years old, it was like a complete surprise for me. I was like, yeah, 21 years old, living with my parents, like was having a great World Cup season, but was like by no means a favorite to win an Olympic gold medal or a medal in general. So I was just like psyched to be there taking the experience and then to go win a gold medal in your first (laughs) event and your first Olympics. It was like, you accomplish like every dream every little kid who grows up skiing or grows up doing any sport achieves. And so that was like shocking and awesome and like so much fun. Right. And then like to put that against like when I won in 2014, I was like the favorite by far and right. was winning world championships before. I won a bunch of the World Cups leading into it. So it was like so different because like 2006 I had no pressure. And it was just like there, it was psyched to be there and like, if I didn't win a gold medal in 2014, it was like disastrous. <laughs> you yeah. know, it was like so, so there was like it was so different, like my mindset. Yeah. And to be able to like go through and actually like go win it. Even was in like, light of all that. Pressure. In light of all that was like to say like one was more joyous than the other is like hard to say, but like I finished went through the finish area in 2014. I was like, oh, yes, I oh, I won it. Like that was like a yeah. uh weight lifted off my shoulders, whereas, like, the other one was just, like, you couldn't believe I just, like, achieved this dream. So um, both of them were, like, fun and awesome, but they're just, like, so different because of the expectations coming into it. Totally. Totally. So kind of keeping on the Olympic topic for a second, what, you obviously, like, go through the ringer of, like, a bunch of, like, media hoopla when you turn an Olympian, a gold medalist. So what is like the weirdest or silliest or dumbest or like worst thing that like a journalist or someone has like asked you in like, like where you're just like, oh God, I just can't even. (laughs) It's hard to like boil down like the specifics there, but like when you like are racing World Cup, most of the people covering the World Cups like cover most of the World Cups. So they know what's going on. They know like the sport and like you Olympics and people have like never seen skis before <laughs> and they're asking you questions like, 
I don't even like know like some like really basic stuff. It's hard to even think about because right. it's like so rudimentary <laughs> about what you do every single day that yeah. it's uh, how do you like stay warm out there when you're not wearing anything underneath your suit? Like actually you're wearing like whatever it is. Like um, you definitely get some like funny questions out there about that kind of stuff. So yeah. it's uh, it's funny because when you get the non-endemic media out there in, in droves and you get some some definitely – naive questions about the about the sport <laughs> I have to say it was it you 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 may or may not have a future in acting but I have to tell you that when we were watching the most recent Olympics for some reason on like our app that we were watching it on your cookie commercial was like playing <laughs> and you only have one line in the yep. whole commercial yep like that yep. was it you just did it you just delivered the line <laughs> and we would just laugh yep. <laughs> sorry <laughs> um uh, kind of keeping on ski racing for a little bit more, I think, you know, you've had a very long storied career and something I've noticed over your career, you've been fairly like outspoken about challenging things that are happening within the industry, within FIS, um, in a lot of different ways. And like, I guess my question is kind of twofold of like, when, how how do you go about doing that when some, it's something that you're so ingrained in and you're so much a part of? It feels risky, right? But then also, like, what do you say, like, needs to happen moving forward? And then and even just growing the sport of ski racing in the U.S. even more, you know? Yeah, the sport of ski racing is a sport that has a ton of history to it. Um, you know, it's like the original action sport in a way. Yeah. And um, with that, like, becomes like the old built-in bureaucracy, you know, mm-hmm. FIS that runs like all the Olympic level ski and snowboard competitions has been around forever. And it's really not that much different than FIFA or all these like pretty big? corrupt, like political yeah. sporting organizations that's lived in this, like in the Swiss umbrella where they don't have any oversight or um, transparency to what they're doing. And so they just do decisions based on whatever they feel like. And that the couple people that have a lot of sway, like try to push the sport in different ways. And it has no bearing on what's popular, what's good for the sport, or it's what's good for that person's perspective and their team. So um, I guess I've been outspoken about it in that sense because they made a lot of decisions and what they do with the sport has been like not really focused towards what's good for the long term of the sport. It's been, you know, some irrational decision that somebody in some office in Switzerland makes and there's no idea of how that decision comes about, but they try to make it into some like official report, but it's all kind of BS. So I think like along the way, I've definitely pushed back on on that um, because I think it's important to have like transparency and also have like the athletes voices in, into what goes on and like how the sport evolves. I mean, What's cool about ski racing, it does have this tradition. It's very traditional. But the problem is it doesn't evolve very easily or very well, too, to the modern times. So they try to, like, come up with these new events, but they're, like, thought of in such an old-school way of doing it. And they're not really taking advice or, or uh, athlete input on how to, how to do things. So um, that's been a struggle for sure. And I think that's, like, they've done, like, ideas that on paper are cool. Like they do these parallel events in the cities that like the average person would theoretically be able to like understand what's going on, but then like they set them dead straight and it's only, you only have a chance of winning if you're 6'10 and you can cross block the gates. So it's like they try to do things that are like a little bit more innovative, but they don't really execute it right or they don't take the input from the athletes 
Do you feel like a lot of athletes are are speaking up or is it kind of like hard because you also like want to not push the buttons too much or something that has so much control over what you do? I think in general, like Americans have always like spoken out and been more most outspoken. Um, The Austrians in general, like they're not like supposed to or allowed to speak Mm -hmm. out. And like the Swiss, they're part of the system. Like a lot of them, like the Europeans, like they're not, they don't want to rock the boat and they're organizations maybe like are more ingrained and in like into that system that they like try to push back on it and try not to like have their athletes speak out too much against it. So um, that's definitely like an uphill battle. Like when we had, they did, this did like rule changes in the skis a bunch of years ago. Yeah. Equipment changes. Yeah. I was very out- outspoken yeah. about it. And, you know, there was a bunch of athletes, most athletes were against the idea of it, but only a handful of them said anything yeah. about it. You know, like a lot of them were just like pissed, but, they weren't willing to like, I was like, Hey, well, like you should speak out about this. And they're like, no, like, it's not like really my spot, my place. And it's like, if that's not your place and like, what is, what, yeah, what yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, some people yeah. notice. Yeah. <laughs> you are a ski racer. You should know something about ski racing. <laughs> um, in terms of, of kind of like moving like forward and just, um, I know that you've put up this idea of like a pro tour. Yep. What what's going on with that? Tell me more about that. Um, so so back in like the seventies and eighties and up through the nineties, they had a pro tour in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a pretty big deal for a little while there, um, and then it went away, and then it just got revitalized in the last couple of years. And this season, I'm only going to race Giant Slalom in the World Cup, so I'll be home a lot more in between races. And yeah. uh, the pro tour approached me about you know racing some of the races because I'd be home and they would fit into like into my schedule. So. I was excited about that. Part yeah. of that, like wanting to do that was to like help support a race series that was not fist, that was like open towards, you know, athletes input, having an alternative circuit out there, I thought was important and, uh, and good for the sport and also like good for kids coming up as like an intermediary step and also like right. a, a supplement, you know, I think it was a, it's a good idea. And so I wanted to get behind that and support it and try to help it like become like a long-term viable yeah. option for ski racing. I love that. Where do you know where you're going to be able to go this winter? Um, so right now it looks like Steamboat's having a race in on the 2nd of January. Mm-hmm. And then and there's one in Aspen in the middle middle of January sometimes. So like mm-hmm. those are like two that I like have on the calendar that cool. I'm home for. Cool. And there's one in Telluride that's a little in February sometime that also works. So cool. for sure probably like two or three of them at least. Yeah. Um, and then depending on how it works scheduling-wise – a few other ones, yeah. Yeah, awesome. Well, circling back to Warren Miller, you've you've also been in Warren Miller movies. Just yeah. one? Uh, I mean, I guess couple. just one where, no, I've been in two, like two. where we've done like a trip and then some other ones where they like have followed the ski racing, yeah. Yeah. Um, but you went to Greenland, correct? Yeah, so I did a trip with in Greenland and then a trip in Alaska. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wait, the trip in Alaska was Tudrillos. Uh, yeah, exactly. You were with my dad on that trip. Oh, really? Yeah, he was a okay. photographer. Oh. <laughs> Jeff Ingerbretson with Tom Not, I don't think he was with us on that trip in Alaska. Who were the other athletes? It was Marcus Caston and oh, Phil yeah. Meyer. And oh, I. that was a different one. Sorry, yeah. my bad. Yeah, need I to, like, need oh, to up no. my ante yeah. on my Warren Miller. Yeah. Anyways, I guess my question is, like, what's the uh, the contrast between, like, your, your life as a professional ski racer and then getting out in the field with Warren Miller? And then, like, secondly, like, what? Do you have like aspirations like for free skiing, like more of that kind of stuff down the road? Uh, so the skills you learn in ski racing are very good for your like your skills as a skier. Obviously. Um, but 
like when you get out in the mountains, like I remember being in Alaska and you like stand at the top of a line and like in ski racing, you go inspect the line, you slide down, you like know where you're going to go. And like when you're up in Alaska, you're like taking pictures from the helicopter at the bottom of the sub and you're like, oh yeah, that looks like straightforward. And you get to the top top, you're like, oh my God. And all you see is like the flats at the bottom and you're like, well, that plan is shit. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like, it's so different in that like, in that sense, is from like from a perspective of a ski racer. So like once you're like doing the skiing, like that normally works out. But like trying to like gauge how big a cliff is or like where to go over a certain terrain to or like slough management. Slough management. Yeah. Like on that trip, you know, our first line we're and you probably know like a area spine cell. Oh yeah. Yeah. So right. like Phil Meyer, who's like a big mountain guy, who's like has a lot of experience. Like we're standing at the top of the line. And he takes two turns in, and then it all, like, rips out underneath him. It's, like, huge slide. Mm. And, like, we we don't see, like, we lose sight of him. And then, like, he was fine, luckily. Yeah. But you're, like, what did I sign up for? Yeah. Like, this is, like, <laughs> really scary. And then, yeah. like, so we ended up skiing the rest of the day because of snow conditions. Sure. And then we got into it, like, a couple days later. Like, we started, like, getting more and more comfortable and, like, skiing some good stuff. But then, like, at the end of the day, like, I skied another line that I had skied and just, like, didn't think about the slough management because it wasn't that much of an issue. I went over and got taken out and then went over a cliff. <laughs> it's know, like getting hit by a freight train. Yeah, exactly. And like, so it was just, yeah, it's hard to like, yeah. hard to like calculate all those things. There's, it's like so foreign to me. Yeah. Um, so it was definitely a learning curve for sure. But did you like it? Oh, I loved it. I mean, yeah. growing up like in Utah, you yeah. love powder days, you know, you love to try it. That's like, that's the highlight, I think. Even though I'm a ski racer, like if I could ski powder every day and make a living at it, sure, I'd love to do that. Some of, <laughs> you some, know? Some of my favorite skiers and yeah. film film athletes have come from ski yeah. racing careers. So, yeah, so it's it's something like that I love doing. Um, when I'm done ski racing, do I want to like pursue that? I don't know if like yeah, I would love to like do like like Japan lines and stuff like that. That's like obviously like what I'd want to be filming. <laughs> um, I think like after like my experience, so I went to Greenland too. That was also an amazing experience. Like we didn't have great snow conditions, but like it was really fun to be out there and like seeing that part of the world was amazing and and was with uh, uh, Mark Adam and Michelle Parker. So like watching them ski was like, was really cool to like see what they're all about and like, Watching that level was was awesome, um, but like ski racing is dangerous, and like you can get really hurt or like death. Right. I guess is a possibility, but, but like not as much as some. Other you have like you have fencing, and you have a helicopter at the bottom of the hill, and like all these, you have all this accessible to like medical care, you know. But when like you're in Greenland, you like realize you're like it's a long ways away. If you break your femur, and you're yeah. like you know, have a compound fracture. It's long ways to like get help, you know, it's like it's true. makes you think about like those risks in a different way. Um, where like you were, you think about those risks in ski racing, but you know, like you're going to get to a hospital quickly if right. you really mess yourself up. You have people there. Yeah. Whereas like these free ski trips, you don't have that luxury and that because I guess I come from this world, like, and like part of my business shred, we do make protective wear. Like, so I like, think about like, the safety aspect of the sport. Yeah. Um, that like trying to do that as like professional, especially now I have a two-year-old. So like thinking about like after like watching Darren make that transition and like some of like the crazy stuff that he got into and yeah. like the falls there, I'm like. It's too much. I don't know if like 
I'm willing to like take those same risks anymore. I'm telling you, people with a ski racing background look dang good skiing pal. So Japan. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so yeah, I don't, I think my when I was 25 would be like gung ho, like that's yeah. absolutely what I'm gonna do. Yeah. Now that I'm 35, though, no, it's yeah. like I've kind of recalibrated my my risk tolerance, I guess. Calibration is <laughs> yeah. good. Well, we've talked about skiing for a very long time on a yeah. podcast. We're not supposed to talk about it. So. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, listeners. We'll get to the non-ski part. Are you ready to not talk about skiing? Sure. Let's do it. Cool. It's the S word. We don't say it. All right. Okay. Awesome. Speaking of shred, let's talk about shred from the perspective of a business owner. Like you started this thing from from the beginning, and um, I just want to know what that journey was like and where it is now. Yeah, so when I started in 2006, I was looking out there and I didn't like what was out there. I thought there was definitely an opportunity to make, you know, first we just started with goggles. We had protection as well. There was nothing out there that I thought was really serving my needs as a skier who wanted to be like, we're just talking about skiing now, I know, but I'm, I'm sorry. I'm dancing on the line. It's, but it's, it's, it's hard. The, that's the problem with, I guess, if you're talking about a company that's in the, in the space. But, yeah, uh, I know. It's, I, it's a if but like, I thought there was an opportunity to make stuff that was better. And mm-hmm. um, my partner was an engineer, and so he had started Slide Tech a couple years before that, was, which is making protective gear. Um, and we, I just had this idea for Shred. I wanted to make, you know, different goggles that were, like, worked well for ski racing, but also worked well for free skiing, and especially that time all like free ski, racing, snowboarding were like segmented. They're like almost pitted against each other. Right. And I thought like I sat and watched free ski movies at lunch with Tanner Hall all through high school. And like I like had a lot of influence from that side of th- yeah. side of the sport. And I wanted to create a company that was like embracing of that, but also like of creating – Of all sides. Of yeah. all sides. And then um, was making better goggles and equipment and stuff like that. So that's where we went from. And now here we are like – 14 years later, yeah. you know, I feel like we're making, you know, the best protective gear out there hands down. And, um, you know, on the goggle side of things, we're working with MIT to create better lenses. And, and you guys are moving and into helmets, other sports yeah. now. Yeah, we right. have mountain biking as well. So, I mean, the protective gear, like the, we've, the stuff we've learned from, like, the ski side of things, protective-wise, we're able to, like, transform into uh, mountain bike stuff as well. So, it's been like a huge learning experience and being like an athlete and then somebody who's also like running a company, you get like a very different perspective on like how the ski racing or how the ski industry works yeah, and like what your responsibilities are as an athlete and also like how you can best serve your partners, you know, as like an athlete as well. The mental aspect of being a business yeah. owner is assisted by your athletic mindset, but then they go both <clears throat> ways kind of probably. Yeah, for sure. It's like when you're on the road, like, we have a decent amount of time, like in between, like we're race racing or training in the morning, and then like we do dry land. But there's like a few hours in there where it's nice to like use your brain in a different way. Yeah. Um. And of course, like I don't run the day to day of shred. You know, like that would be impossible from the road. And um. But on emailing and skyping and all that from on a daily basis. And so being in touch with that that side of things is is fun and it's good to be able to, like think about the world in a different way than just like trying to go faster on gates. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I understand that there's a lot of S word in that question. And yeah. I, that was my fault. I set you up for that. Yeah. On that one. <laughs> really now we're not going to talk yeah. about that. Um, okay. So just kind of a basic question. I'm curious, like who is your favorite non-snow athlete like out there in the world? So like Utah Jazz are my favorite sporting yeah. team out there. Yeah. Um, so I grew up like watching Stockton and Malone like mm-hmm. when they made the finals those years. So 
Uh, jazz are like my favorite sporting team far and away, but I'm actually like a big tennis fan at all also. So mm-hmm. Rafael Nadal is probably my favorite athlete. You're a Nadal guy. I'm a Nadal okay, guy. Okay, so I was like baiting you because I knew you were super into tennis. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know if you were like a Nadal guy or a Federer guy. So why Nadal? Like what about him as an athlete? So I don't like Federer because he like seems too perfect and pristy too and like, perfect. yeah, like it doesn't have like, he's like fundamentally good and he's like beautiful to watch and all that, but there's like, there's not like, even though he's gritty, there's not a grittiness to it. There's uh-huh. not like a, I can't like, being an athlete, I can't like see the effort and like, I can't like relate to that as much. I can't relate to like being so like naturally gifted. Yeah. And whereas like Nadal, like his like live or die, like by every point and right. like the grittiness to it and like how he has like a little bit different technique than everybody else out there. Mm-hmm. And like, how like humble he is and all that was like all those are like attractive qualities to like watch as an athlete and so um and to like see how like good he's been I mean all those guys have been so good for so long but like for him he's like had so many injuries and everybody said he'd only last until he was 25 and now he's you know in his 30s and he's still winning grand slams so that's pretty cool and there's definitely a lot of inspiration I can draw from watching you know Nadal but also you know Federer and Djokovic and those guys I'm still like going strong. I'm a new tennis fan. I never like got into it until recently, but now I think I'm not like into very many sports. No. Um, <laughs> but I think I like tennis is like my one. There, I'm like really impressed. But do you play tennis? I play tennis. I don't. I I didn't start playing tennis until I got free rackets when I was like made the US ski team, and then I played a lot for probably like five to seven years, and then now I try to play some, but I don't play as much as I would like to or should, so. Got a kid, um, business. Yeah, I can play, but I'm not like a high level tennis player by any means, but I enjoy watching it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Okay, if you could, your life as it is now, and it's completely wrapped up around your career, if all of a sudden right now you could just stop your fingers and jump into a different life away from all of that, what would it be? Well, being it that I'm, I won't use the word, but being that that I'm close to the end of my current career. Yeah. Um, think about that. Yeah, I think about that. I mean, that's part of like when I was young. I guess I was somewhat forward thinking in the sense of starting shred. So, yeah. um, that's definitely going to be a part of my life afterward. I have a two two and a half year old son now, so that's obviously like going to be a huge part of my life. Um, being a dad has like been one of the most gratifying and fun experiences of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, or not one of, but the, <laughs> uh, and so that's, that's like going to be a big part of my life. But being that I'm interested in business, like I, I see myself, I'm 35. I don't have like a college education. I graduated high school and made the ski team. And so I want to go to business school. That's something I'm interested in doing. That's cool. Um, and I like want to have tangible skills to like be able to bring that to my company or whatever else I do beyond that. So I guess that's like kind of where I see myself going next. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I like that. Um, This is a question. It's our POW question. So it's presented by Protect Our Winners, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Of course. And um, so my question, my POW question is, if you could ask everyone on the planet to do one thing to make the world a better place, what would you ask? Oh, man. There's like, I think people thinking about it are like realizing that it's real. I think that's like part of the conversation. I think that's like missing is like, bring it into like a lot of time we like preach the choir, you know, about climate change, change, you know, it's like, it's, it's hard to like bring it into like the terms of like people who don't think about it. They're like, 
what's real for them. Like, what is like the thing that like brings so like. It's almost like if you could ask everyone, like, "Hey, open your eyes." Yeah. You're, you're gonna see this out your front door. Yeah. So it's real. But like, it touches not just like climate change, touches everything, like from immigration to like the economy, mm-hmm. like everything. So like, it is like. It's a humanity thing. Yeah, it's a humanity. It's a much bigger issue than itself is in itself, and I think it's hard to like. That's like I feel like it's like the communication piece that's missing is like trying to like get people to understand that like are don't are inclined to think about it that it's not real. Yeah. You know, and trying to bring that conversation into like somebody who is well, like to get political, like right wing, like so these are the issues you care about. Like this actually affects these issues. So I think that's like what would be nice to like be able to like, try to find a way that like brings Unify that everybody. into that like so it's not like a hot button issue anymore. Yeah. I mean, I think that that would be, I yeah. think, when Protect Our Winners listens to yeah. this podcast, like, yeah, that's what we're yeah. trying to do. Yeah. Get everybody so, I mean, together yeah, it's on like, the yeah, same it's, page. Yeah, because I'll admit, like, I travel the world. Sure. I drive to ski areas. Like, I'm not on the consumption side of things. Like, I can't tell people not to consume less because yeah. here I am, like, burning fossil fuels flying around the world and, like, skiing. and. But it's not yeah, about I, perfection. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's not about being perfect. It's about moving yeah. forward. But like progress. Yeah. Trying to like be supportive and like pushing these innovations that are out there for, mm-hmm. you know, clean energy and, mm-hmm. and policy wise. And I think that's like where the big changes come because yeah, I recycle and I don't I guess recycling doesn't do that much anymore <laughs> now that China doesn't take it. So it's like yeah, there's yeah. need bigger issues that are, you know, beyond just like there's systematic changes that need to happen. Absolutely. And consumption is one of those, of course, but being able to consume while also like not having it be fossil fuels is what we need to work on, innovating on. Yeah. Jeremy Jones is like perfect quote is like, it's not about doing less. It's about doing more. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think that fits right in. Um, Okay. I'm going to totally like change the mood a little bit. This is going to be a tough transition maybe, but Ted, do you have any guilty pleasures? Like things that you love that people might not know? I have a sweet tooth. Sweet uh, tooth. Yeah, so I like chocolate. I mean, I like try not to be an athlete. I try not to like eat sugar, um, <laughs> but your, sometimes I can't favorite? like resist. Is it, is it always chocolate? Like yeah, if you, I'm like at a restaurant, I'm looking at the menu. Like I skip over anything that doesn't have chocolate. In it, yeah. <laughs> so other than like creme brulee, I guess is like the one thing that like I'm into that doesn't have chocolate involved. But otherwise, yeah, I'm a, I'm into the tro- chocolate side. Dark of chocolate's good for you. Yeah. Well. A little. Yeah. <laughs> In moderation, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Ice cream, though, you know, all that's even if it's dark chocolate, still has lots of sugar in it. So I guess that's sure. my guilty pleasure. Yeah, sugar. It's a good one. Yeah. It's bad for you, but it's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> I think we can all relate to that a yeah. little bit. Um, okay, we are going to play this game called Two Highs and the Low. We do it on every episode of the podcast. But with you, I want to know what two highs and one low is of being a dad and, and somewhat new dad, two and a half, Jacks. Yep. The highs are, like, when he's, like, learning new things and, like, being psyched on life or, like, actually one of the coolest things was the other day, like, so I was gone for three weeks when we were going in Solden. And then when he, a week after I came home, he's like, Dad, I'm so happy you're home. And, like, so that was, like, one of, like, the best Aww. moments. And so that's, like, a high. A low, like, right now is, like, when I'm gone, like, yeah. When I was gone for those three weeks, the first like week he would talk to me on Skype, and like he's getting to the point now where he like talks and like conversational. That's in air quotes. Like you can ask him about what he goes does at school, and he'll like 
give you some things that are real and some things that probably didn't happen, you know, <laughs> or like goes off in like little tangents. And then like he would start hitting the phone and then he'd just walk away from the phone. So like yeah. that's like I guess a low point is yeah. like is him being pissed at you there. Mm-hmm. He's also not a great sleeper. So like when you're home and you're like you're always tired because he's waking up at five o'clock in the morning and is ready to go and or he wakes up a bunch of nights. So that's off obviously difficult too because sleep, sleep is important. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All my friends have new kids. They're like, it's so awesome. you got to do it. But you'll never sleep again. I'm like, yeah. that's okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, at home I haven't slept in past 7.30 in I don't know how long. So oh, being on the road, it's like, oh, you got to sleep in until 9? Like, whoo. <laughs> it's like I haven't had a 12-hour day for a long time, and I used to try to get one of those a week. Yeah. <laughs> 12-hour night sleep. 12-hour yeah. sleep. Yeah. Any other highs? Oh, uh, being a father? I mean, yeah. just – so we're, we like potty train jacks, like watching jacks take poops in the potty. That's, that's a high. Poop. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I guess when the poop isn't like <laughs> your problem anymore, then it becomes a high. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I can see that. And like changing diapers actually, I wouldn't say is that much of a low. It's not that much of a pain until he's like old enough that he can squirm like a fish, you know, and he's like at the end yeah. of your hand, he's just like trying to like <laughs> wiggle free and he's got poop in his butt. That's, that's kind of a low, but... <laughs> But, like, now, like, that he does it in a t- potty, like, regularly, like, that's, like, he doesn't, like, poop in his pants anymore. And that's, uh, that's, nice. that's nice. Yeah, that's really yeah. nice. <laughs> cool. Poop. Yeah, that's poop. <laughs> Everybody um, loves talking about poop, right? A lot of people, like, <laughs> I've had, like, a lot of, like, pooing your pants <clears throat> stories on the podcast. Yeah. So this is, like, a new version of yeah. that kind of. Um, did, did you think of any non-S-word stories that you wanted to share with us? Non-S word stories. Something um, funny or interesting or, I mean, you kind of told me some stories about your family yeah. already, but. I'm trying to think of like good stories. Um, it's hard when I put you on the spot. Yeah. Like one like funny story, it's pseudo S related, but okay. like, so like when like when I was my early time on, this, on the team, mm-hmm. I'll just use non, it's okay. I'll we can use just, the word, but like, so we flew out. over to Europe <laughs> and we were like staying at these apartments in Innsbruck and um, I was rooming with to my older teammates, Chip Knight and uh, Dane Spencer. And, like, having jet lag, I, like, w- went to sleep early. And they, like, shook me, woke me up. And they're like, Ted, like, it's time to go. We're going skiing. Like, we're leaving to the mountain. And I was like, okay. And I got I got up. I looked at my clock. And I was like, oh, the, like, my phone didn't, like, adjust to the time zone. So I got my, like, long underwear and stuff. I went up to, like, the coach's room. We were eating breakfast. And I made myself breakfast. And I was sitting down at the table. And my coach was eating beer or drinking a beer. And I was like, that's weird that like you'd be doing that in the morning. I was like, so you had a long drive here last night? And he's like, yeah, I just got in. And I was like, wow, like that was, it took forever. He's like, yeah, it was the longest drive ever. And I was like, okay. Yeah, drove like, all night. All night and you're drinking a beer now, like right before we go skiing. And I get downstairs and like, I was like, why aren't you guys getting ready? They're like, oh, we are getting ready. And like, so I like put my suit on and I looked at my clock again. I was like, wait a second. It's 10.30. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, p.m. So that was kind of like a funny prank they did on me. I feel um, like there's a lot of pranking that goes on yeah, in that exactly. world. Yeah. So they got me. I like had breakfast and had everything on <laughs> ready to go. Just Only took you, you know, a while to catch up. Yeah, it took me a little while. <laughs> Should the, be, the beer, well, it was dark when we were leaving at 5 o'clock in the right. morning, whatever, to go training. So it's dark then on both sides of it. But I should have known something at the beer. But that coach – drank fair amount and so I wasn't like 
that <laughs> taken aback by it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I like a yeah. good prank. Yeah. Pranks are fun when they're not happening to you. Yeah, exactly. Well, that one's pretty mellow, though. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was yeah. a mellow one, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, Ted, thank you so yeah. much for coming on the podcast and chatting with me. And uh, if people, nice. the listeners, want to keep following you and follow you through this this season, where can they find you? Uh, so, yeah, all the social media. Um, Ted underscore Ligeti, I think, on Instagram. Just normal Ted Ligeti on both Facebook and Twitter and that stuff. So, cool. yeah. Cool. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for being yeah, here. Thank you. And thank you fun. guys for listening. Of course, I'm Amy Ski. This is the Long Underwear Podcast. And if you guys haven't yet, please go see Timeless presented by Volkswagen. It's awesome. I love it. It's one of my favorite Warren Miller movies in, that I can remember. So go see it. And um, we will catch you next time on Long Underwear. This podcast was brought to you by Warren Miller Entertainment. Don't miss Timeless, presented by Volkswagen, premiering this fall. Travel the globe with athletes like myself, Amy Ingerbretson, as well as legends like Glenn Plake, Kate Zellif, Marcus Kasten, Ian Morrison, Baker Boyd, and more. All moviegoers will receive access to discounted lift tickets, gear, and swag. Go to warrenmiller.com for more. Long Underwear was produced by me, Amy Ingerbretson, as well as Jesse Hackett and Jessica McGee from the Warren Miller Entertainment team. Follow Warren Miller ENT on social media to keep the good times rolling. What's going on, everyone? Hallie O'Brien here, host of the Emmy Award-winning Snow Report show presented by Ski Magazine. If you enjoyed this podcast, then you're going to love the Snow Report. We talk skiing, snowboarding, weather, gear, beer, and every episode is a guaranteed good time. Catch new shows on Tuesdays at SkiMag.com.